Hi, I'm Ursula McElroy, and this is the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning. It's October 13th, and I'm joined in the studio today by my longtime friend, Ursula McElroy. She's from Frederick, Maryland, and she's here to share with us her experience, strength, and hope around today's daily reflection, which is entitled Unremitting Inventories. Welcome to the podcast, Ursula. Thanks, Lee. So glad we got you finally. <laughs> so we usually um, start off by having our guests read the daily reflection. If you have that with you, you want to go ahead and get us started? Okay, October 13th, Unremitting Inventories. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 84. The immediate admission of wrong thoughts or actions is a tough task for any human beings. But for recovering alcoholics like me, it is difficult because of my propensity toward ego, fear, and pride. The freedom of the AA program offers me becomes more abundant when, through unremitting inventories of myself, I admit, acknowledge, and accept responsibilities for my wrongdoings. It is possible then for me to grow into a deeper and better understanding of humility. My willingness to admit when the fault is mine facilitates the progression of my growth and helps me to become more understanding and helpful to others. Mm, I like this one. So do I. So do I. We weren't prepared for this one, were we, Ursula? (laughs) No, I thought it was going to be another one, but that's good. So what do you think as you read this? What comes to mind first of all? Well, you know, it... For a long time, every time I did something wrong, I always gave myself a reason for it, you know? I I blamed it on others. You know, if she hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. So it was okay that I did it. In doing the inventories at night, I was taught that there's both good and bad things that are going to happen during the day, and we need to remember that. What I'm trying to do at that is to get closer to my higher power, Mm -hmm. to God. And the only way to do that is to correct my actions Mm -hmm. instead of blowing them off and saying, oh, well, you know, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I I didn't mean to do that. And she knows it, you know, Mm -hmm. because all my life and, and I wanted people to judge me by my intentions instead of my actions. And that's what I was doing. What really helped with this, though, was the first time that I had to to go and apologize to somebody for something I had done the day before. And uh, luckily, it was somebody in the program, and she was very gracious about it. 
I had broken her anonymity is what I had done. And she she asked me not to do it again, but she said, you know, if, if it did help somebody, then I, then you know maybe that was God's will. Mm-hmm. But you know, I knew it wasn't. It was just me trying to you know show off like mm-hmm. I always did. So, but it it stopped me from doing that again. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it was a it was a lesson learned. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of resonated with me not to talk about other people's. Yeah. Um, you know, stick with my story and not other stories. Yeah. So it also helped me, you know, I tended to exaggerate and to lie when I was drunk. And so that stopped also. And it was, it was by doing the inventories, you know, and admitting the wrongs, you know, because I think my first year of sobriety, I must have said thousands of times, I'm sorry, I'm lying. Hold on. Let's back up here a second. And once you do that enough, you stop doing it because you don't want to keep saying it. Mm-hmm. So when did you actually come into the rooms? Uh, my sobriety? sobriety date is February 10th, 2006. I came in on my 45th birthday. So oh. my belly button birthday is also my sobriety date. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for real celebration. <laughs> so let's talk about um, what was happening. What was your life like? before you came in? Uh, Well, the last few years of my drinking was basically waking up, figuring out how I'm going to get through the day because there was outside issues, what I like to call lumpy liquor. And, you know, it was just what I call Groundhog's Day. It was the same day every day. You know, I would wake up, I would be hating myself, hating God and my life. And by the end of the night, uh, my last thought was, please, God, don't let me wake up. And when I'd wake up, I would be hating God and just knowing what I had to do to get through the day mm-hmm. and just hating it and just not knowing how to get out of the, the groundhog's day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things came to a head with my family. They talk about it in the book that deep down within every man, woman and child is the fundamental idea of God. And for me, that's the only quote that I know from the big book. But to me, that was that voice that cried out when my family said, you know, you need to to get your act together. What are you going to do? It was, I need to go to rehab. Uh, You know, I I can't do this alone. Mm. And that was that was that voice deep down inside me that I was not going to say those words. But that's what got me here. And I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back. Uh, you know, other than doing the step work, I haven't looked back. I've, I've done everything they've told me to do and I haven't had to go back out. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. So you talked about lumpy liquor, which is the first time I've ever heard that. I'm going to remember it and use it. Uh, did you do any other programs besides Alcoholics Anonymous? Actually, I did. I started um, for about the first month when I came out of recovery. I was in our sister program in N.A., And my problem with that was, and it's me, I know, but I would go into the meeting and just, I did not hear solutions. I just heard stories Mm -hmm. and I would come out without any help. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would occasionally go to an AA meeting and I found the solution. I found, you know, I, I think I know myself well enough to say that, 
if I was to relapse, it would be on a drink first. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I just lump it together. Like I said, it's lumpy liquor and, you know, mm-hmm. so it works for me. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I know a lot of people are in the same boat. I think more and more now, you know, we don't just come in with one issue, you know, we, we might actually be qualifying for five different programs, but, but a lot of people don't realize that they can come to Alcoholics Anonymous if drugs is part of their problem. And so I like that you're sharing this because, you know, we're letting people know that our doors are open. Right. Right. But I do respect Alcoholics Anonymous. So when I do, I, I always say I'm an alcoholic because I did everything alcoholically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> what do you mean by that? Tell me what you mean by that. I, I mean, I took everything to excess. You know, I could not drink one drink. You know, I couldn't do one drug. It's everything was, it was all the same. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard uh, sponsees, you know, they lump in their shopping addiction or whatever it was. But uh, for me, like I said, you know, my mind, the way it works will say you were a drug addict. You could, you could have a drink Mm -hmm. and I know I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's that, you know, angel and devil on your shoulder. And I know which one I want to feed. I want to feed the good. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I do. You know, I, I love AA. I I love AA and it's allowed me to live and not pray to die at night. At night now I can think about what I've done good during the day, what I want to try and do better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I was told when I came in that you want to change everything, but you can only do it a degree at a time. And unless you look to see what you need to change, you can't change it. Mm. So that's what we do at night. You know, we do that inventory and we try and change. I'm glad that it's progress and not perfection (laughs) because I am by no means perfect at this. But, you know, I have a sponsor and I have sponsees and we talk about it. You know, we we talk about when we do something wrong instead of hiding it or trying to cover it up or saying, you know, it wasn't that bad. I don't need to worry about it. I think that's the difference between addiction and recovery is the, I mean, it's not the, the difference, but it's one of them, this willingness to look at ourselves without the shame and the guilt that we used to. It's almost like when we, when I was using anyway, uh, I didn't want to look at myself at all. And like you, nothing could ever be my fault because I had to be okay. I had to be, be perfect and right. But now in recovery, it's, it is easy to look at myself and see my part in things because it's liberating. Yes, it's, it's a freedom. I don't have to be that perfect person. You know, I can breathe. Yeah. You know, I'm not on edge. I can get on edge. I, I you know, I work in a, in a field that can be very demanding when I deal with people that are sick. And I have to remember that. You know, I wear a necklace um, that's got the serenity prayer on it and the back of it is rubbed raw because when I get anxious, uh, my sponsor has taught me to pause. I have a friend that I love her saying, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it meanly. Mm, I love and that. That's what we do. You know, when I am sober, I'm able to look at a person and instead of when they're yelling at me over something at work 
instead of seeing them yelling at me, try and look behind it and say, okay, well, maybe they have something going on. Maybe they're sick or their family member's sick because I'm in a medical field, you know, and I have to understand that they may have been at the hospital for the last 24 hours with a sick baby and they're, you know, that's why they're upset and screaming at me. You know, I'm able to look at their side instead of just looking at my side. As my sponsor says, the world doesn't revolve around me. There's other people in it too that, that are important. Yeah. So that's the difference between when I was out there using and when I'm in here. Do I do it perfectly again? No. You know, sometimes it's all about me, <laughs> especially as we were talking about my husband. He lets me be me. Yeah. It, it's like this, this process of inventory gives us compassion for ourselves and I always say by extension, other people, I think this process allows us to be kind, loving human beings. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, if I looked at myself at night and the next day, there's somebody that's doing something that agitates me. I can look back and say, okay, well, how were you yesterday? Mm -hmm. Were you agitating that other person? You know, so that's a lot of uh, what got me through actually my fourth step. And over my resentments is looking at my own behavior and seeing where I had done somebody wrong. And if I want that forgiveness, then I need to be able to forgive the other person for their wrong. It's, uh, you know, forgive everyone or forgive no one. And that includes me. And I want forgiveness. When you first came into AA, did you get a sponsor right away and start working these steps right away? Were you... So you had, you said you went to rehab. I went to rehab. Yes. And I was told to, to go to a meeting as soon as possible to get the sponsor, to get the home group and get a service commitment. And I did all of those because when I came into rehab, um, I'll be quite honest. When I walked through the doors of rehab and I saw the 12 steps and, and 12 traditions, my thought was, you know, God, 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 this is not going to work for me because you see, if there's a higher power, I he's got a book and I know which side of the book I'm on and it's not going to work because I can't forgive myself, let alone, you know, some strange being. But uh, my thought when I walked in the door was I'm going to do everything they tell me to do. And if it doesn't work, I'm blaming them because that was my attitude. I was going to try everything for seven days, any suggestion for seven days. And if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have to do it again. But most of the suggestions that worked for seven days, I just kept them up. And that's how it's gotten through me uh, or gotten me through the last six, 15, 16 years is following suggestions. You and know? I guess it worked. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I went to a meeting. Second day I was out of rehab and I got a sponsor within, well, the first month, I, like I said, I was in an NA and I got an NA sponsor. And it didn't work for me. So I, you know, went to AA and I had a sponsor within a week or two. And I've had her since then. Um, She's a wonderful woman. Uh, She's a beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. Uh, She saved my life. And, you know, she let me see that, how to forgive myself. She helped me to see that everything that I had done was for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is I was going to need that experience to help the next woman behind me. Mm. Uh, somebody told me probably 
I was maybe a year sober and struggling with the higher power. And, and she said, you don't need to struggle so hard. You just have to remember it's not you. And that's what I do. I use a group of drunks. I use a good orderly direction. I use a God. I use a higher power. Um, it doesn't matter what I call it. At one point, I called it Soto, Spirit of the Universe. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's not me. I, I pray and just go about my day. I love this program. It saved my life. I try and follow the steps to the best of my ability and the traditions and just do it one day at a time. Mm. I just want to talk about the, the higher power piece for, for just a minute. So when you started, when you came in and started working the program, you said you struggled with the higher power thing. So did that, and then earlier you said, cause you felt you were on the wrong side of the book. So did you believe in God? You just thought God was mad at you or did you not have a concept of a higher power really? Actually, I think that comes from childhood. I was raised a Catholic and I was also raised in the military when I was probably a little girl. I, I vividly remember getting my first communion and it was at Paris Island because my dad was in the military. And I think that's what scared me from God. I, I always tell this. Well, I don't always tell the story, but I just picture a little girl in a, in a white wedding dress in church with 200 guys that are in boot camp. And they're at the end of their prayers yelling, amen, sir, amen. And I think it scared me. Mm -hmm. um, and we went to church every Sunday, but till I was maybe 13 or 14. And then we were given the choice, at, you know, in the family, you know, whether we wanted to keep going. And of course I didn't. So when I came in, that's what I thought God was. You were good or bad, you know, and there was... You know, I had problems with some mystical being that if I say my sins, he's going to forgive me and it's all done because it's still in my, all those sins are still in my head and I have to get them out. And that's where the steps came in. So when I was uh, three months sober, we did the third step with my sponsor and she said, you know, we're going to do this prayer. And I had been praying because that's what I was told to do. And it felt good, but, you know, I wasn't really connected. But the third step prayer we did, and she said, now, what it means is God wants you to do the fourth step. <laughs> so we just, we did the steps and it was through working the steps that I found a higher power. But, you know, over the years, it's changed. It was a group of drunks. It was the people in the rooms that, that's where I heard the answers to my prayers, mm -hmm. you know, just mystically something would be going in my life and I'd go to a meeting and they'd be reading in the big book. And it was all about what's going on in my life. Go figure. And then um, at one point I was, like I said, into nature and um, I had a tree branch for a higher power for a while. It, you know, it was like a magic eight ball because it would go up and down when I asked questions or it would go sideways mm. or it just stood still. It depends on the wind. And if it was staying still, it just meant, you know, ask me tomorrow. So like I said, there's something there. I don't know what it is and I don't get to know what it is. And if I could explain what it is, it would be too small for me. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I look at it. I say my prayers. I feel good doing them. 
I'm one of those that I say my prayers in the shower while I'm cleaning my body. I'm cleaning my mind and spirit, opening up for the day. And that is something that I love about being sober. Because when I was out there, I was not a clean person. I lived in places you shouldn't have lived and or weren't livable. But being able to to wash myself and brush my teeth was just a a difference from the person that I was. And so that's where I do my commute. I'm old. I'm an older woman. I'm in my 60. I'm 60. It's very hard to get on my knees and get up off my knees. Honestly, the first thing in the morning is my first thought is not God. My first thought is a cup of coffee, cigarette. <laughs> me so too. It, it works for me. That's my routine to pray in the shower. Um, and, and to say thank you at night, you know, and think about my day and what I could have done better and how I'm going to do better tomorrow. And do I need to apologize to anybody? Um, and generally, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I haven't had to make amends in a while. I, I think that comes down to the pause that my sponsor taught me very early. Pause before I speak. Or what am if I am I what I'm saying, is it honest? Is it pure? Is it unselfish? And is it loving? And I'm not sure where I got it. It was in a pamphlet somewhere. The initials pure, unselfish, honest, and loving. It's P-U-H-L. Pull myself closer to God. Mm, I love that. All my thoughts and my actions. Again, it's progress. It's not perfection, but mm-hmm. if you if you just pause for a moment, is what I'm saying really needed to be said, or am I just saying it to hear myself? It's interesting. I think as a result of doing the steps, I've been able to really ask myself, do I really care? Like things that used to bother me that would make me react and mm-hmm. maybe say something. Today I can say, do I, who cares? I'm like, really, what do I care that this person did that or said that? It's just this ability to, I guess, to drop that ego thing where, you know, my feelings get hurt and stuff like that. It just doesn't happen as much anymore. Do you find that to be true? Yeah. Yeah. I learned that when I was using and drinking, I didn't always like somebody, but I wanted them to like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I can just be me. And if you like me, that's great. And if you don't, that's okay too. You have that choice. My sponsor talks about a hula hoop. I have a hula hoop around me. And the only thing I can control is the thing inside the hula hoop, which is me. I can control my actions. I can't control somebody else's. And she also, like I said, when we were going through the fourth step, you know, when somebody's irritating me or, or, bothering me or screaming at me because like I said, I I work in a pharmacy. So I'm, you know, if somebody doesn't have their meds and they're screaming at me, I I put myself in their position or I try and put myself in a, in a position that they're in that maybe they've been up all night with a crying child. Maybe their husband just is sick and they're having to take care of him and, you know, he's whining. So she's up at you know, I try and build these little stories to forgive why they're acting like they're acting. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I do well and start saying, you know, I really don't need you to be speaking like that to me. Yeah. Well, well I think you're allowed. We don't have to be doormats either. Right. Yes. Yes. You're tr- You're right. It's not something that I would have done 16 years ago is put myself in someone else's place. Mm-hmm. It was all about me. 
and you should be treating me right. I don't care how I treat you, but you should treat me right. Right. Just real quick, you got married in the program. Yes, I did. I met my husband in the program and I got married. He used to sit behind me. And uh, that was another thing my sponsor taught me to sit in the same chair in every meeting so that the newcomer or somebody coming back that's been out, we'll, we'll see that I'm still there. Also, the people in the group know I'm there. So he sat behind me and I asked for his phone number one day and he thought I was getting it for a guy in the program. We'd, we'd known each other. We had mutual friends. And I ended up calling him and asking him for coffee. So oh, that's yeah. great. I didn't know that part of the story. Yes. Yes. And coffee led to others. And, you know, like I said, we uh, dated for about a year and then moved in together. And then we had a problem with our communication. And so we separated for a year found that we didn't like it being alone. We, we much enjoyed being together and that we needed to, to be honest about what we were feeling on any given day. And it was okay to, to say what we felt. Mm-hmm. It goes with the reading, the ability to look inside yourself and see what you're really feeling. And then to be able to talk about that, or maybe see your part in something and be able to talk about that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We had, we had a wonderful wedding at, at my sponsor's house. And my family was all there, which is is truly a gift. My son walked me down the aisle. That was the best day ever. The best day ever. I had lost my son when I was when I was out there using and I got him back through the program. I got my family back. You know, I used to always say when I was on the bar that I wish I had a do-over with my life because I, I messed it up so badly. And, you know, who knew you come into AA and you get a do-over if you mm. do it right. If you work the steps, you get a sponsor and, and you get your do-over. That's great. That's beautiful. Such a gift. Yeah. For those listening, we'll we'll have Ursula's husband, Scott, on at the end of the month of October. Yes. And, and you two are some of my favorite people in AA. We've known each other. Uh, since I was early in sobriety and was a speaker getter for a meeting in Leesburg and they're a town about, um, well, they're in a different state about 30 minutes away from me. And we went out, we all went back and forth to each other's meetings for a while. And you guys have always said, yes, you've always stepped up in service and you've been a good example to me. Well, we both um, love you. Uh, well, it's mutual. It's a love fest here. Um, so let's just, you know, talk to the newcomer here for a minute. What do you suggest to folks who, you know, who are listening to us and they're brand new and they're just like, I, I can't look at myself yet because I hate myself. I believe that every choice that we made when we were out there is something that we can use to be of service in AA to help the next woman behind us. I used to say, why, 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 you know? I don't get to ask that anymore because it just works. The newcomer, my suggestion is, is what they told me, get a home group, get a sponsor, get a, a service position and don't ask why. Just do what they tell you to do. You know, try it for a week. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. You know, that started my first suggestion that was given to me was to say prayers, say a prayer every morning and ask for God's help. And I didn't believe in the God, but I did it for a week and it felt good. 
even though I didn't believe in it. So I kept doing it. Um, second thing was read this book, the the big book of AA. And to me, it didn't make sense at all the first time I read it, but I did what they told me to do. Don't ask why. That's what I tell my newcomers. Just do it. And that's what worked for me. I didn't question because when I was out there, I questioned everything and I didn't get anything, mm. you know, in here, I didn't ask a question and I got everything. I just yeah. did what they told me to do. They said, get in the car, go to a meeting. I got in the car and went to a meeting. It, it was scary. It really was. But you just sit and absorb it. You know, you, you ask questions. I'm not saying not to ask questions because you're not going to know how to do something sober. I didn't know how to dance sober. I didn't know how to talk sober. I didn't know how to get a job sober. But I didn't ask why you want me to do that. Why do you want me to pray to a God I didn't believe in? I just prayed to the God. Why do you want me to, to list all the people I'm mad at? What is that going to do? I just listed them. Why do you pray for those people? Because that's what you told me to do. I didn't ask why. I just did it. Uh, my biggest problem when I came in was I used to tell my sponsor when she was talking to me, I know, I know. I know. And she finally said, you don't know anything. You're not allowed to say those words again. But that's what we do. We, we love helping the next person. Everything I went through out there, was there was a reason for. And it was so that I could love the next person coming in. Mm. All that guilt, shame, and remorse, I know what that newcomer's feeling. You know, I can put myself in her place and tell her, Yes, I was there too. And you can get through it. We can do it together. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to tell the newcomers. Yeah, I really love that. That's one of the beautiful things. I, I read it in the book and I really had a lot of shame and felt like I'd thrown my, my life away because I was 48 when I came in. The thought that all of that stuff is for a purpose. And that purpose is to sit across from another woman and say, me too. I did that. I did that. I did that. And I did that too. And it's okay. Like today I'm happy, joyous and free. And you can be too. They wouldn't listen to us if we didn't, if we hadn't done the same things. Exactly. If, exactly. if we hadn't experienced the same shame. So what a beautiful twist on the whole story that is. Yeah. And speaking of twists, I'm, I'm thinking about you praying to God every night and asking him to take you in your sleep. And I did that too, by the way, I, I I've heard a lot of people say I came in because I was afraid I was going to die. I came in because I was afraid I wasn't going to die. Like I'm, I was just going to live like this forever and God wasn't going to take me. But you said, I prayed every night for God to take me in my sleep. And now uh, you're talking to God about the things that you did well that day and the things that you might need to correct and any apologies that need to be made. And I just think that's a, such an amazing change. It is. It? it is. And it's not, I mean, not every day is great, but you know, I don't have to want to die over. Them. I don't have to want to die. It's, I had a thought and it just went boom. <laughs> Still happens to me. Yeah. It's <laughs> me all the time. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I heard a story. I, I don't know when it was, but it resonated with me that 
because my question, you know, when I was out there was, you know, if there was a God, then why would he let all this crap happen to me? And somebody told me it's like a needle point, you know, the, that grannies used to do the needle points. And if you turn, if you hold it up like this, God is looking at the picture side of it. And what we were seeing all our life was the bottom where all the strings were like jumbled up and knotted and, you know, twisted. And all those connections make a beautiful picture that God is seeing. That's why all that crap happened to me. Every connection I made, there was a reason for that I could use later in life when I was sober. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Ursula, thank you so much for coming and saying yes, as you always do. Thank you for making it so easy. I love you guys. Thank you for doing this. I can't wait to hear Scott and I'm sure I'll see you out in Frederick soon. Yes. I love you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.